Welcome to Community Chats, an interview series elevating the voices of community leaders in the Lafayette-Oxford University community, an initiative of the University of Mississippi Office of Community Engagement and the Lafayette-Oxford Foundation for Tomorrow. All right, well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to Community Chats for today, Wednesday, July 8th. My name is Anthony Saracusa, Director of Community Engagement here at the University of Mississippi, and I am joined by my colleague, Aaron Pizer Oath, for these regular conversations with folks in the Lafayette Oxford University community who are working hard to make a positive difference in our region. Community Chats comes to you every Wednesday and Friday. We typically come to you live, and we will now have um, some captions so that folks can follow along uh, and make these videos more accessible for our community. Um, our goal is to allow folks in this community who are making a positive difference to tell their own story in their own words. Who are they? Uh, what is the work that they're doing? What is their vision for the future? Would you like to be interviewed on community chats or do you know someone who should? Send us a note directly on Facebook or you can send us an email at engaged at oldmiss.edu. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. E.J. Edney, our colleague and the director of the Center for Inclusion and Cross-Cultural Engagement here at the University of Mississippi, affectionately known by its acronym CICCE. EJ does the work of building a more equitable and diverse campus here at the University of Mississippi all day, every day. And recently he has taken a leading role in organizing the campus response to the recent deaths of black Americans at the hands of police and vigilante forces. We are so lucky to have EJ at the University of Mississippi and I want to say as a new member of this community, I have been extremely fortunate to have EJ as a colleague. And I look forward to each and every shared initiative that we have together, including today's community chats conversation. So EJ, I'm so delighted to welcome you to the show. Thank you all so much for the invitation. And before we move into any of the questions, I just want to um, echo and reciprocate everything that you said. The partnership up until this point has been something that I have been extremely grateful for and appreciative of, and I and I really look forward to the future. And um, this interview, I think, is a great start in us uh, painting that picture for our community and inviting them into the work that we're doing together. So thank you all for the invitation. And Aaron, thanks so much for the work that you have been doing as well up until this point. Some of the initiatives that you've started and the change that we've seen in our engagement with our community during that time. Uh, couldn't be more grateful for everything that you all are doing over in community engagement. So thanks so much. Well, we are lucky to be a part of this awesome division of diversity and community engagement and to have great colleagues. And uh, EJ, let's jump right into it and um, just get us started by telling us a little bit about where did you grow up and how did you end up in the Lafayette Oxford community? Yeah, um, so I am from uh, Mississippi. Um, born and raised in the Jackson area, born in Vicksburg, uh, spent some time in Jackson until about middle school, then moved to Clinton, Mississippi, graduated from Clinton. Um, my whole family is from Mississippi. My mom's family is from the Mississippi Delta. Her father was a sharecropper. Um, my dad's family is from Natchez, Mississippi. Um, his father was, he ended up being the president, interim president of Alcorn State University um, at one point. And my grandmothers uh, were both very hardworking. My grandmother, my dad's mother, um, a botanist, um, and my mom's mother um, raised 14 children, um, fostered 11 more, um, drove buses, fed communities, uh, was a pillar of our family and community. So 
that's my stock. That's what, you know, made me who I am. And um, when that is your stock, you know, when you are a black person from Mississippi, um, there are some things uh, that you have to contend with when you make the decision to attend the University of Mississippi. Um, and so the reason that I'm here, um, I came as an undergraduate, had every intention of being a, a, of wanting to be a doctor um, until I took biochemistry and it disagreed with me. <laughs> um, but I, during that time, I was forced to reckon, reckon with the fact that there were some things that my family warned me about or talked to me about um, in terms of their perceptions of the institution that did deserve some attention. Um, and those things um, ignited my passions. I, I felt um, uh, compelled, I think, um, to create some type of opportunities there. And those choices, I think, are what led me to continue to be here um, and continue to be in, involved in some of the initiatives like the one that you explained uh, just a moment ago. Wow, thank you, EJ, so much. So you talked a little bit about how you came to the university. Um, what was your path to ending up as director of the Center for Inclusion? This was something that you were a part of from the very beginning. So would you tell us a little bit of your story there? Yeah, and so I can't claim to have been a part of it from the very beginning because I think that, you know, the demands of the Old Miss 8, for instance, included um, extra resources for students of color in, in the state. And so I don't want to take any undue credit um, but that said, it, it does give me a great sense of pride and responsibility to have been a part of a group that was selected to assess the campus climate and determine if the University of Mississippi needed um, a centralized multicultural resource. And I think those efforts were happening in lots of different spaces on campus, but I was um, uh, fortunate enough to co-chair a committee of student leaders who were very passionate about these issues. Um, and we led a process of benchmarking the University of Mississippi against you know, peer institutions or aspirational institutions of doing focus groups in the community, of analyzing um, climate survey data and of making recommendations about what such a center would do if it were created. Um, and so the, the, that led to the creation, of, along with all of the other work and all of the other, um, um, you know, groundwork that had been laid before us, um, to the creation of the Center for Inclusion and Cross-Cultural Engagement. I was honored at that time to be able to select the first leader, and I, I don't want to end this um, interview without acknowledging the co-chair in that process, Dr. Ethel Skurlock, and, and also honoring the person who came out on top of that process, Sean Boda Mead, uh, who is now our interim vice chancellor for diversity and community engagement. But I, I, th I can't think of a person who could have better led, right, uh, the center and built it and given its foundation in this direction. So um, major shout out to them as well um, for all of the work that they did in laying the foundations for the center. Um, I was fortunate to continue relationship with the center um, in his you know, young years through most committees and other services and showing up to their events and participating in lending services. Um, and when the opportunity you know, came for, for me to join the center staff, I jumped at the opportunity. So that's what led to, to me being a role that I'm in now. 
Wow, that's super cool, EJ, and it's, it reminds me, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants and, you know, we inherit legacies and we have a responsibility of stewards of those legacies and the resources we inherit. And now as director, you know, you, you help to kind of prepare the way for these leaders. And now Dr. Mead is, you know, is our boss and, and she's leading in this incredibly important area. And now you get to lead the CICCE. So talk to us a little bit about the vision, the goals of the CICCE, and just maybe highlight a couple major initiatives y'all have undertaken. Absolutely. So um, the easiest way that I describe what we do in the center is we try to attend to the gaps in the student experience. So we recognize full well that there are inequitable experiences by nature of um, all sorts of outcomes and student um, um, engagement and success. Um, our goal is to, is to stand in that gap. Um, and we do so through um, programming and retention initiatives. So major shout out to our assistant director for um, uh, cross-cultural engagement, Sarah Pignon, um, the coordinator who worked with her, Cadence Pinthony, um, and on, on our retention initiatives, um, Lauren Jones, um, who was actually on that committee as well to establish the Center for Inclusion. So that's really cool to be able to work with someone who was um, on that committee and helped me with that work. Um, and Tanika Ingram, who works with our MOST program. And together, we, we have a suite of programs, initiatives, services that um, identify and speak to the needs of students who are marginalized by environments like our own. Um, and so we try to be that, that best effort that gets those students connected to resources. Um, and I think our mission will be ever expansive. Um, um, we have uh, made great headway in certain communities and certain relationships and certain spaces. Um, but we're ever aware of the opportunities that, they, that lie before us to strengthen our relationships and, you know, um, gain even more perspective and provide even more support for people across the board. Well, one of the collaborative initiatives that has recently um, come out of our office areas working together has been the Stronger Together initiative. So would you talk a little bit about that, how it came together, who all was involved, and what some of the, how that's been addressing the needs in our campus and community? Absolutely. So one of the gaps that I, that I speak about is how students see themselves represented um, in our programming, in our engagement, in what we care about. And I think that against the backdrop of these murders that we've seen in our community and across the nation and those responses, um, it would be irresponsible for us not to provide some space for um, healing, allyship, and action. And in thinking through um, what those opportunities should be, I like to give credit where it's due. And so, um, Joshua Mannery um, was very instrumental in this. Anthony and I met to try to imagine what the division's response would be. Um, and during those initial meetings, um, Joshua Mannery had asked for advice about some things that he wanted to do. And I saw a lot of overlap um, and opportunity for us to do this collaboratively um, and provide a space that was uh, unified and you know, that had some direction for the community. And in those initial conversations, uh, we invited in folks from the Counseling Center. Um, Monica Coleman was involved in that conversation, several folks uh, from the uh, Center for Inclusion. Um, and we decided that, you know, during these times, one of the most frustrating things is what happens in between, right? We, we get riled up 
everyone is, you know, wanting to do something. Um, and then if some time passes, if, if it's not, you know, at the top of the news cycle, we can't really say what we've done between, you know, uh, Tamir Rice and George Floyd, right? Except for that, we were mad both times. Um, we wanted something to be different for our community and, it's, and, and this felt different. And I think we've seen that across the board um, as we are seeing our nation change and you know, the demographics of our nation and institutions change, the responses to these um, issues are, are, are similar to the past, but in some ways it seems like a watershed moment. Um, we leveraged that in, in offering to our community um, that healing, allyship, and action are three things that are going to be important in these moments. Um, and, and we have done our best to usher our community through those opportunities and first providing an opportunity for them to heal um, and providing tools and resources for how we cope and what we do. Um, and then cre creating space coalescing around uh, several key points that came out in that first healing conversation um, for ideas around allyship and ultimately will lead the community in a few short weeks through a process of initiating action and catalyzing action. Yeah, that's powerful, EJ. And just as someone who's played a role in that team, it's, it's been really cool in this moment to sort of think through how this is different. I think you put it very well, so I won't add anything else onto that except to say that um, we've had a lot of people on these calls and uh, it's interesting to look at some of the street demonstrations that we've seen and to think about some of the specific work we've been doing in these spaces. So um, if you want to maybe speak to a couple of the forums that we've had so far and kind of what's happened in those spaces and then you gestured towards action, but what, what can folks expect in the fall from Stronger Together? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our first two conversations were uh, major successes. And I know that that feels odd to say in the, in the context of like what brought us to this space. Um, but I think that we effectively um, created space for folks to really talk about um, and draw out why this particular string of deaths um, brought to bear so many inequities, so many pieces of hurt, so many opportunities for us to really demonstrate who we are as communities and who we are for each other. Um, and so that's how I would characterize that first conversation. And I think the results of it, um, when we asked folks, you know, what are some things that we can really rally behind? Um, we came out with some, some, some key areas. Um, the second conversation, the feedback was, has been very similar. Um, except for that this conversation was very tailored and folks had an opportunity to engage around a particular issue. Um, I think still framed and understood that we were brought to this space um, where we might be talking in this space about history and symbols. We were brought to this space because of this very poignant and unavoidable and undismissible example of racial terror. Um, and so folks were looking at whatever this issue is through that lens. And are we who we say we are as an institution across the board? I think it's the question that folks ask as they engage with the different topics and offer the different suggestions that they have. Um, and, you know, I want to honor the work of the folks who are in those rooms. And I won't necessarily lead with what some of those suggestions are, because I think that they need the opportunity to be able to coalesce and, and think about how to deliver those best to the community. But I think what we can imagine in the fall 
is seeing action groups around those particular um, things that they have identified, those opportunities for us to better align who we are as an institution with what people see when they engage with our institution, with what people experience when they choose um, to either work or uh, gain their education here or build community here. Um, and so that, that, you know, without, you know, giving too many details about what those specific um, opportunities and projects might be, um, that, that gives a, a, a pretty high level overview. Um, once we give charge, I think, to those action groups, I think as they see fit, the leadership there to expand and engage others in the community who have been doing good work, I think that that's going to be up to them. But, um, you know, I'm really excited about us lending whatever support that we can to those groups as they push for um, the initiatives that they think are important for us to reach that alignment that's key to this mission of Stronger Together. Awesome. Very cool. It's exciting to see that vision emerge and to be able to take tangible steps and action to, to impact it and bring it to life. Yeah, what and I couldn't be great, more grateful for you all's expertise in bringing that to bear, so thanks so much. What are some of the greatest challenges that you've experienced in doing this work, um, whether specifically Stronger Together or in the broader context of the work that you do in CSCCE? Um, you know, I think sometimes it can be too personal for me. Um, I think that sometimes these issues get treated as philosophical exercises and, and I'm not an idea, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a person and these things, you know, represent and affect people. Um, and, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, professionals of color and, and, and women in professional spaces and, you know, LGBTQ folks in professional space, spaces can attest to the fact that, so, that sometimes you, have to measure, you know, uh, what it is that you bring to a space um, and how, what it is that you push for and what it is that you navigate. And so it's in balancing this deep sense of responsibility that I have to make real change, but acknowledge that, you know, it's in a context where, um, you know, folks are going to be inherently resistant to that change and not see that resistance as resistance inherently to me and not respond to that resistance as resistance to me. Um, but also know that when it boils down to it, there are real people who are affected by these things, right? And, and I'm one of those real folks. And so, you know, I, and, and as I watch students navigate that same thing um, and trust us with, you know, supporting them through navigating that in a responsible but effective way, um, it, it, it is just really, it's never lost on me, the responsibility that I have to be a good example um, and, and, and to interrogate what being an, a good example when, you're, when your uh, professional position is creating equity, what, what is being a good example, you know? Um, and where, where are the real opportunities for partnership and collaboration like Stronger Together that we have as a community? Um, for us to make real change and hold each other to account and hold the institution to account um, to be the best that it can for all students. So I think, I, I, you know, it's, it's personal for me. It's a lived experience for me. 
Um, and sometimes I think that in doing the work, we have to approach it in certain times um, in ways that separate, you know, the impact of our institutional choices from individuals, from real folks. So um, this, this, I think, provides an opportunity for us to really make these things personal and, uh, you know, have some, some real skin in the game about making the change that we want to see. Yeah. Spoken, you know, from someone who has clearly such a depth of experience in institutional settings. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because institutions often don't care about individuals. I mean, as an entity, an institution is, is there to perpetuate itself. And, and so then I think you put your finger on sort of a, a big question there, EJ. And so I just really appreciate your comments and, and the experience that you bring to that. And I imagine that this work that you've been doing for so long in these institutional spaces it also brings rewards, not just challenges. And, you know, could you speak to maybe one or two of those, those great rewards you felt from doing this work? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I sit in a seat that in some ways wouldn't exist because of opportunities afforded to me and others to, um, you know, I frame it as opportunity. Um, and, and I do so intentionally, but it, it was real work. It was real pushing. It was real, you know, and so, so to see those things come to fruition, to see uh, the investment that the community makes, for instance, in the MOST Conference or in our LGBTQ initiatives and to see um, even the engagement with the community um, when um, folks need, you know, guidance on a particular issue or training in a particular space, the, the frequency with which folks reach out to us to offer those things, I think, is very rewarding. Um, the incremental changes, I think, is something that I have to remind myself about a lot um, because I think that we can, you know, in the pursuit of equity, want it right here, right now. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't want to quell that in anybody's spirit. I think we need it. Absolutely, we need to keep our foot on the gas, you know, pushing toward all of these different things. But to know how institutions move and exist to preserve, preserve institutions and perpetuate themselves um, requires you to kind of look at the incremental changes over time. And fortunately for me, having been here since 2007, there's so much different about this institution. Um, and in saying that, there's so much that's still the same. And, you know, and so I remind myself often and my staff and others to just be ye not weary. Um, we get tired all, all the time, I think, in pushing for these things. But it, it, for me, it seems I get that email from that student who slammed the door and told me that the advice that I gave them just wasn't good. I get that email saying, hey, I, I'm really glad that you said X, Y, and Z to me. You know, I didn't want to hear it at the time. I usually get that on the days where I've dealt with a lot of those challenges. Or I'll get the call from, you know, um, you know, students who have gone on to become, you know, accountants and business owners. And a student just reached out to me, um, uh, Taylor, who was MPAC president when I used to work in Greek life. Um, just reached out to me to serve on a board for her nonprofit that she is that she's establishing. So it's those opportunities, the relationships that you build and pushing for these changes and, and encountering even these challenges that our society, our institutional experience, that our identities bring to us, those relationships I think are the the essence of the rewards of doing this work. Awesome. Thank you. 
It looks like we uh, may have lost Aaron there, but <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and jump into the, the next question unless Aaron is back with us. <laughs> My apologies, all technology. <laughs> Hashtag the internet. <laughs> Glitches. Um, yeah, thank you so much for that. I, I hate I missed, I got cut off there a little bit for a second. I'm wondering though, EJ, so many people that are listening from the LOU community may be less familiar with your work. And even some of our campus partners maybe have learned, hopefully have learned something new about your work through this conversation today. So how might people in the community or on campus get involved in what you're doing or, or find meaning, meaningfully way, meaningful ways to contribute? Absolutely. So um, several different ways. The best way to be engaged with what we are doing is to follow us on social media and on our website. We have, we're very engaged there. Anything that we're doing out of the space will be there. And the opportunities for community engagement, I think, will be clear, um, clearly marked. Um, going into this fall, you know, being faced with COVID and the restrictions that are there, um, one of the benefits there is that it's increasing our digital engagement. So a lot of the things that we'll be offering this fall will be available to folks through that delivery mechanism. So, you know, following us there is a really good way of, of keeping track of what we're doing. Um, a bit premature, but I, I feel confident in talking about it, but our faculty, staff, and alumni will have opportunity in very short order to engage with our students through uh, some mentoring initiatives. And so I'm excited about those opportunities as well. We will advertise those opportunities on social media as they grow. And we're scaling those out against the context of COVID as well. So we wanna make sure that they are successful. Um, and so the scale there, I think will grow as we you know, learn to more successfully deal with where we are there. Um, I think other than that, um, you know, we frequently host speakers, we frequently host uh, student development opportunities. Um, so if you have something in the community that, that um, I think is in service to helping students build a sense of belonging or you know, connect more deeply to um, their major and engagement, please reach out to us. We're willing to uh, partner in providing those types of opportunities for students. Um, making sure the students know about our resources. Our most conferences coming up um, in just a few days is another opportunity to engage with us. Those registration deadlines have passed, but you know, again, that's another example of having followed us on social media, those opportunities are available to, to everyone. Um, and then finally, um, yeah, I know that this is a tough time and people, you know, have balancing, balancing uh, priorities, but we do have, um, you know, opportunities to support the center in um, the foundation. We have a foundation account in the center, the CICCE support fund. So if, you know, in following us on social media, you see uh, something that we've done or that we've engaged or a topic that we're engaging that speaks to one of your passion areas and, and want, you want to support us in that way, there are links to be able to do that on our social media and on our website. So, um, you know, I, I think beyond that, you know, my email address is really easy to remember is EJ, the number eight at omis.edu. Um, so opportunities for engagement that you have or that you know about or uh, students, you, you wouldn't believe how many um, opportunities um, and programs that are public facing come from students emailing us saying that we want to see this or that happen. Um, so that is, I think, plenty of opportunities there to engage with the things that we're doing. And we look forward to hearing from anybody who wants to partner, partner with us in that work. 
Awesome. So cool. The foundation of cow is really neat. I, <clears throat> I've learned so much in this conversation. So uh, I'm sure our listeners have as well. So thank you, EJ, for sharing all that. And we want to give you now uh, one minute, 60 seconds. Um, I could probably listen to you for 60 minutes, talk about this, but 60 seconds. What is your message to the citizens of our campus community and to the citizens of the Lafayette Oxford community? You know, I think I believe in honoring moments and times and space that we find ourselves. And as I thought about what I would offer um, in this time, you know, we're faced with a moment where we're being asked to demonstrate to the folks that we say that we care about who we are. Um, and I think that in, in being asked that question, another inherent question is how will we be remembered? Will we be remembered on the right side of history? Um, and I think that, you know, it's in wrestling with that question that we can really start to find some common ground. Um, because if we you know, look back at some of the things that we now wrestle over, the vestiges of what we honor um, and what it is that we uh, uphold, um, we can agree that over time, uh, folks find themselves on the wrong side of history. The unfortunate reality is that we can't fast forward that. We can't extrapolate that. We can't think about what that might mean for us and our legacy in the future. Um, I implore everyone to think deeply about that. Think, think deeply about you know, how our children uh, will remember us. It's often said that we are in a space where we just have to wait for those old ideas to die out. But my dad waited and his dad waited and his dad waited. And I don't intend to wait. Um, and I think that it's important for us to understand that as a community and what that means for us together. Um, I can say, you know, I, I sit from a space where I can say that the Center for Inclusion and the Division for uh, Diversity and Community Engagement um, want to push for those changes um, and want to be a part of making sure that the University of Mississippi is remembered on the right side of history, that we can look back on this moment and be proud of the things that we do. And um, I'm excited about the proposition, the possibility of being a part of those types of, of moments in history. Um, and so excited for you all and, and the community and the listeners and everyone who's gonna engage um, with this content and with this, this series about the things that we're gonna make happen. So that's my minute. Thank you, EJ. EJ, it is so inspiring to talk to you all the time. I so value you as a colleague and as a friend, and I just learned so much from you and from your work. So thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for joining us for today's community chat. It's been wonderful to chat with you and hopefully to introduce more people to the good work going on in the Center for Inclusion and Cross-Cultural Engagement, the good work going on on our campus, and the, the way that we truly are strongly together. So thank you so much for living out that message day. Yeah, and I, and I just wanted to add one more thing too, and I think Aaron will close us out, but I think it was Dr. King's second or third book that was called Why We Can't Wait. And if you haven't had a chance to, to take a look at that, you know, for EJ's one minute message, I, I, I'd encourage all y'all to go back and take a look at that. And, you know, he had a message and, and this came out in 1963 when he wrote the letter from a Birmingham jail. That letter was directed at white moderate clergy. And because they were saying, why can't you just wait? Why can't you just wait? And, and so the letter from a Birmingham jail was, was, came out of that context. And his book, Why We Can't Wait, came out of that context. 
And one of the lines that always sticks with me from that is, you know, we have to be the headlight for justice, not the taillight. You know, so to, to, to EJ's point there, right? Like, how will we be perceived, right, 20, 30 years from now? So I just wanted to direct folks to that resource. If what EJ said to you really spoke to you, then Dr. King has some additional words. So anyway, thank you, EJ, for uh, being on the show today. And Aaron, I'll let you close this out. Sure. Well, thank you to all of you for tuning in, even after the fact, even though we weren't live today. Thank you for chiming in and being a part of this series. Please like, comment, share this feed with your friends, uh, and please stay engaged. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time on Community. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Mississippi Office of Community Engagement and the Lafayette Oxford Foundation for Tomorrow. Tomorrow.